I'll invite you all to turn with me in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. We are going to uh, finish up today our sermon series that's been uh, going for the past nine weeks through the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians is found in the New Testament. It's after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, after Acts and Romans, but before you get to Hebrews. And we have been camped out there on the fruit of the Spirit. We're also going to take a moment to look at Romans chapter 6 as well. Romans is right after the book of Acts. And so if you uh, need to put your other finger there, you can. Romans chapter 6, we're going to read in a minute. And as I said earlier, the next three weeks, we're going to go through a series uh, looking at our church vision and what that means for us as a church family, the scriptural foundation and basis for that. I invite you all to uh, stand with me, if you would, as we read these couple verses from Galatians and then those from Romans. We just stand recognizing the power, the truth, the wonder of God's Word. Galatians 5, 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then Romans 6, looking at verses 1 through 13. The Apostle Paul is here transitioning from the first five chapters, a bit of a transition as he answers a key question. He's explained how we're all totally lost and hopeless without a merciful Savior. And then he's explained also that that Savior comes into our life by completely by free grace. We can't do anything to earn it or secure it. It's a gift for us. And so he wants to answer one of our natural responses to that free gift of grace, and that is, hey, if God's going to pour out grace in the midst of our sinfulness and the fact that we are sinful fallen people, maybe we should sin some more. That's the way he's glorified. Doesn't it work that way? And he answers this question here as we think about this fruit of the Spirit of self-control today and how the gospel relates to it in our lives. Verse 6 says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He's saying we've been united with Christ in everything that's happening to Him. Read on with me the next couple of verses. For if we have been united with Him in a death like this, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. We know that our old self was crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we've died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. The death He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members, he's talking about our bodies, who we are, 
to sin as instruments for righteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. You may be seated and let's pray one more time again. Father, we do thank you and praise you for the majesty of your word and ask that you administer to us as we look at it now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Stephanie mentioned in sharing about Peru, our journey out from the main city, Huaraz, each day up into these mountain villages, uh, several days, a two and a half hour journey by these vans and by this uh, truck that we were traveling in. And it's an amazing thing, especially now some of us, this was our second time being in this environment, this atmosphere. So we were somewhat used to it, a little more relaxed. But especially those who for the first time had come on these journeys up into these villages, you know, in order to make your way up into the mountain areas where the Quechua people, the native people of Peru live, you've got to go back and forth, back and forth, working your way up these switchbacks into the mountains. And you know how our roads here, if there's even like a five-foot drop-off on the side of a road, they put one of those little metal barriers to keep you from falling off the edge. They haven't really heard about those down in Peru. You might have a thousand foot drop and you can look down if you're on the edge of the van window and see the tires about a foot and a half from where it goes straight down. Not to mention also the road itself covered in big huge rocks. Larry's vehicle, which was caused great admiration among the man crush that we had upon him, uh, has Kevlar reinforced tires. He has Kevlar in his tires. They're bulletproof to not be slashed by these rocks. And then, of course, there's divots and there's no level to the road as well. And so the amazing thing to watch is that van driver. Victor was his name. And how he maintains control of that vehicle. And it's so important, as you see in your worship guide, uh, not just for the fact that he stayed on the road, if you will, Spiritually speaking, carrying this over into our spiritual lives, that's important. Recognize God's holy and to want to live holy for Him, to have that driver stay on the spiritual path. Uh, Also, not just important for the fact that we avoid falling off the edge of the cliff to our death, as we, spiritually speaking, often stumble with sin and we see those sin consequences threatening our very spiritual lives. But ultimately, what's amazing about the driver keeping control, not just that we stay on the road and don't fall off, not just that we're able to move forward, but that we ultimately make our way up to the peak. Ultimately make our way up to, for us, that glorious spot that we were going to do our clinic. For us spiritually, make our way to that glorious life that the Lord has for us now and on into eternity. And that's the way, we don't have a lot of time this morning, but that's the way I want us to think about this fruit of the Spirit of self-control. It almost sounds uh, like an inawkward word at the end of this list of joy and peace and goodness and all these monumental things to just sort of land with self-control. All right, I've got to be self-controlled. It has kind of a negative, preventative side to it. And what I want us to see today is that just like that driver's got to keep you know, 10 and 2, working his way up that hill, 
so too spiritually self-control for us. It doesn't just keep us from falling off the cliff or keep us navigating over some rocks and some potholes. It is what allows us to climb up to the pinnacle of living our lives with and for God. And we all struggle with that, don't we? One of my favorite books, and I'm going to draw from it uh, heavily this morning in our next few minutes about the Christian life, is The Discipline of Grace by Jerry Bridges. And it's a great book. I thought about it this week as I was contemplating, okay, what is self-control other than just avoiding some bad things? And I love how Jerry Bridges talks about the interaction between God's grace, His free gift of mercy and salvation, and our transformation. The opportunity, as Paul says in Romans 6, we read those verses, to live our lives in a way that's united with Christ, a new life in Him, a new direction for it because of who He is. Believe it or not, we have to have some sort of self-control in our spiritual life to realize all the benefits of that life. The way Bridges describes it, and you can see the uh, four or five points that are listed in your worship guide if you want to turn to the back of your bulletin, it's located there. This main idea, because God gives us glorious life in Him, that's that place at the top of the mountain that we're walking towards and seeking. We must diligently direct our lives towards Him through Christ. We can't do any of this exclusively by ourselves. And we wouldn't even be aware or have had the impact of the gospel in our lives if God didn't choose to love us and show his kindness to us. But if we're to progress in our spiritual life, if we're to enjoy the life that Christ has for us abundantly, then we've got to practice this fruit of self-control. It's vital to moving forward up that road. Bridges talks about five different components of that. He talks first about the discipline of commitment, the discipline of commitment. And we all struggle with commitment, don't we? It's easier to be wishy-washy about a lot of things in life. Like the newspaper cartoon that showed the man who was standing up at the top of a high-rise building, standing on a ledge at one of the high stories of the building, and he had a note in his hand that said, Suicide. And as you looked a little bit more carefully at the picture, you saw that he had a parachute strapped to his back. And leaning out the window was a lady that was commenting to him, and she said simply, you just can't commit to anything, can you? That's true for us. Hard to really make commitments that we stick with. And one of the things about the gospel is that it invites us, it's free It's righteousness that we don't deserve. It's relationship with God that we don't have coming to us. But it does require something of us. And that is commitment. Surrendering our life to Jesus as our Lord, as our Savior. Jerry Bridges says this again in the book I mentioned. If we want to be like Christ in His character, we must commit ourselves to putting on His virtues. So the first part, I think, to living a life of self-control is that commitment of committing ourselves to it and the vital importance of that. I like how Bridges also talks about this and 
how this can grow wearisome. It can be a challenging thing. He says, an all-out, unreserved, nothing-held-back commitment to the pursuit of holiness might be a bit exhausting. But it will not be oppressive if it's grounded in grace. But to be grounded in grace, we must continually refer back to the gospel. To this fact that God loves us more than we ever dreamed, even though we're far more broken and sinful than we thought. He says, don't just preach the gospel to yourself every day merely to have the cleansing of your conscience. You certainly need to do so for that. But as you do so, reaffirm as a response of love and gratitude your commitment to Him. And do so in reliance on His Holy Spirit that by His grace, He'll enable you to carry out your commitment. So a question for us today, each one of us, wherever we are on the spiritual map today, is where are we in a commitment to Christ? And if we've made a commitment to Christ, is that commitment growing? Is that still an anchor point for us? Second thing Jerry Bridges talks about, and I think is so helpful in this idea of self-control, is the discipline of convictions. Romans 12, you don't need to turn there, but it's just a few pages past the verse we read earlier. Romans 12 Again, the Apostle Paul is at a pivot point in this book and he's explained all these mercies that God has shown to us in Christ. And he says in verse 1 of Romans 12, I appeal to you, therefore. He's making some kind of appeal. He's saying, listen up, I'm trying to leverage this. By the mercies of God, in light of all these great things God has done for you, he's saying, present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then he says this, verse 2, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The discipline of convictions, living our lives and seeking to control our lives towards the glorious life God has for us, means that our minds, our lives, our souls are being informed By some other source than the world and the opinions of those around us or what's on TV, we're going to be shaped by the Scriptures, by who God says He is and what He says about us right here, that that's going to be the bedrock of our convictions. And so a question for us, all of us today, myself included, is are we putting ourselves downstream from this Are they coming and committing to be a part of worship regularly and hear the preached word or in our personal devotional time or in the Sunday school commitment to being involved in Sunday school or whatever that may be to where we're receiving and having our convictions shaped by God's word? Well, none of that matters too much, really, until the rubber meets the road. Going back to our illustration, until that place of choice comes. And all I want to say here is just to remind each one of us that in order for us to live out the gospel, to move up that road towards the Lord, we have to daily be making choices. Those things matter what we choose to do. And life's filled with lots of options, isn't it? Every day we have the option to either believe the gospel for ourselves or to not believe it. To trust that we have this righteousness from outside of us and God loves us so deeply and our identities in Him. Or to not trust that. To look to God to give us the power to have love and joy and peace and 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, all of these things we've been looking at the past few weeks, or to not look to Him for those items, to lie or to tell the truth, to live selfishly or to live unselfishly, to covet or to give, to humble ourselves or to feed our ego. The list could go on and on. But the purpose of self-control is to allow us, when the rubber meets the road, to make choices that align with what we believe. We don't have time to talk in depth about the discipline of watching, but that's just the reality that as we're trying to go down this road, there might be a rock fall come on down the side. There might be some things that are unexpected that we need to watch out for. In particular, the discipline of adversity. And I'll end with this today. Because I think one of the hardest things for us as we set about and we say, okay, I understand what you say in Romans 6, Paul. I, I, I do realize the life of Christ is now in me. And I, I want to live in a transformed way. I know that's pleasing to you and I know it'll be good for me. But, but I struggle. I don't just struggle with the commitment of it or the convictions or with making the choices. But I struggle because adversity comes into my life. It's all fairly easy until it's difficult, until something makes it challenging. I like the encouragement that Jerry Bridges gives. He says, in times of adversity, Satan will plant the thought in our minds that God is angry with us and is disciplining us out of wrath. Here's another instance when we need to preach the gospel to ourselves. It's the gospel that will reassure us that the penalty for our sins has been paid. That God's justice has been fully satisfied. It's the gospel that supplies a good part of the armor of God with which we are to stand against the accusing attacks of the devil. But we've seen in the few moments that we've had today this reality that God offers to us this gift of a of a glorious life in the sense of having a relationship with Him and knowing Him and the fulfillment of that in eternity. And this particular fruit of the Spirit, self-control, which doesn't sound all that glamorous and sounds kind of just preventative to us, is actually the way that we direct, participate with God in directing our lives so that we can enjoy that glorious life that He has for us. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we offer You praise and worship today for the fact that even the things that don't seem that exciting or glamorous about Your Word, like a phrase, self-control, actually have a great purpose in our lives and are the very thing that would allow us to move closer to You. And so, Father, we pray that You would just work in our lives, that we would be people marked by commitment, by convictions, by choices that align with Your Word, and that we'd even be able to walk in that pathway in the very difficult situations where we face adversity, and that all of this would be to Your glory and to Your praise. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.